0: Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for standing by. I'd like to welcome everyone to the Canaccord Genuity Group, Inc. Fiscal 2022 First Quarter Results Conference Call. All lines have been placed on mute to prevent any background noise. After the speaker's remarks, there will be a question and answer session. If you'd like to ask a question during this time, simply press star, then the number one on your telephone keypad. If you'd like to withdraw your question, please press star followed by two. If you're having any difficulties hearing the conference, please press star zero for operator assistance at any time. As a reminder, this conference call is being broadcast live online and recorded. I'd now like to turn the conference over to Mr. Dan Davio, President and CEO. Please go ahead, Mr. Davio.
1: Thank you, operator, and thanks to everyone for joining us for today's call. As always, I'm joined by Don McFadden, our Chief Financial Officer. Following the overview of our first quarter fiscal 2022 results, both Dawn and I will be pleased to answer questions from analysts and institutional investors. During today's discussion, we'll refer to our earnings release and MD&A, copies of which have been made available for download on CDAR and on the Investor Relations section of our website at cgf.com. Our quarterly investor presentation and supplemental financials are also available on our website. I won't cover the entire presentation during this call, but I will refer to certain slides to guide our discussion. Within our update, certain reported information has been adjusted to exclude significant items in order to provide a transparent and comparative view of our operating performance. These adjusted items are non-IFRS financial measures. Please refer to our notice regarding forward-looking statements and the description of non-IFRS financial measures that appear on page one of our investor presentation and also in our MD&A. I expect you've all had an opportunity to review our quarterly disclosure that were made available last night. Our first fiscal quarter performance underscores the strength of our client franchise and the constructive, yet more normalized market environment relative to the same period a year ago. Our results also reflect ongoing progress on the firm's strategic priorities across all our businesses, as articulated by our leadership team at our 2021 Investor Day. With higher contributions from our global wealth management operations, a continuance of strong capital raising activity in our capital markets business and substantial growth in advisory activity the company has continued to post strong revenue and net income performances. While we don't expect a continuance of record ECM activity levels that we experienced over the past year, looking at slide six of our investor presentation, you can see that our first fiscal quarter results have put us comfortably on track for a strong fiscal year. Adjusted firm-wide revenues for the three-month period amounted to $524 million an increase of 39% when compared to the same period last year. This was the third highest quarterly revenue earned by our company. Excluding significant items, firm-wide pre-tax net income for the first fiscal quarter amounted to $114 million, up 173% year-over-year. This translated to an adjusted earnings per common share of 73 cents, a substantial increase from the $0.25 reported in the first quarter of our last fiscal year. Well, this was another strong quarter for capital markets contributions. On page 9, you can also see the continued growth of net income and diluted EPS contribution from our wealth management businesses. Excluding significant items, our total expenses as a percentage of revenue for the first fiscal quarter decreased by 10.7 percentage points when compared to the same period a year ago, with non-compensation costs coming in at 16.7%, a year-over-year reduction of 5.3 percentage points. As evidenced on slide 10, we continue to benefit from the enhanced cost savings driven by the extended remote work environment and the restrictions it has placed on travel and entertainment. That said, we've also maintained a strong focus on the efficiencies and cost-discipline measures that we implemented prior to the pandemic. Our non-compensation expenses as a percentage of revenue decreased by 4.6 percentage points year-over-year. While we continue to tightly manage our non-compensation costs, we would expect T&E and business development expenses to rise modestly from current levels as more in-person meetings are scheduled. Firm-wide compensation ratio for the three-month period was 62%, a decrease of 4.8 percentage points, reflecting higher revenue and lower PSU charges relative to the same quarter last year. Our continued progress against our strategic priorities and our market-leading execution capability in each of our business and geographies reaffirms my confidence in the strength of our franchise and our earnings power. Reflecting this confidence, the Board of Directors has approved a quarterly common share dividend of 7.5 cents for the first fiscal quarter. Perhaps most importantly, we begin the fiscal year with fewer common shares outstanding on a fully diluted basis, and we expect continued buyback activity over the coming year which will support enhanced earnings per share in any market backdrop. While we continue to deploy our balance sheet to support increased client activities during the three-month period, we have remained active on our NCIB program and we expect to continue to do so throughout the fiscal year. Our total capital deployment initiatives for the first fiscal quarter, including common share dividends and buyback activity, amounted to $19 million or 26% of our net income. With that, let's turn to the performance of our operating businesses. Performance by our global capital markets business remained very strong over the three-month period, reflecting the strength of our mid-market franchise. While activity levels have begun to moderate from the extraordinary highs in the previous fiscal quarter, our Canadian, US, and UK businesses delivered year-over-year revenue increases of 111%, 34%, and 20% respectively. In addition, our Australian business continued to perform above historic levels. Firm-wide capital markets revenue for the first fiscal quarter amounted to $324 million, up 38% when compared to the same period last year. Our investment banking segment contributed 46% of the total capital markets revenue For the three month period at $151 million, a year over year increase of 55%. Over the three month period, we participated in 199 transactions to raise gross proceeds of $20 billion for growth companies. Excluding significant items, first quarter pre tax net income improved by 145% year over year to $84 million and the pre-tax profit margin increased by 11.4 percentage points to 26%. These improvements reflect higher revenue on a relatively fixed cost base and the impact of increased contribution from higher margin advisory activities. M&A completions in the quarter increased substantially, and first quarter revenue from the segment increased 269% year-over-year to $76 million. Roughly half of this amount was contributed by our U.S. business, which earned its second-highest quarterly advisory revenue on record. Our Canadian business also achieved impressive growth from advisory activity, with revenue increasing 95% year-over-year. I will also note that our Paris advisory team achieved several completions during the three-month period and is performing at record levels heading into the second quarter. We continue to see robust M&A activity levels in our core segments and geographies. When compared to the same period a year ago, trading volumes declined modestly, reflecting reduced market activity, which led to a 19% year-over-year reduction in trading revenue. This segment earned revenue of $52 million for the three-month period, of which $45 million came from our U.S. operations, principally from our international equities group. Across our capital markets business, we continue to pursue opportunities for expanding our product capabilities and the development of ancillary products, intended to complement our mid-market offering and enhance our long-term earnings potential. Looking at the current quarter, although ECM volumes remain very strong in July, activity levels appear to be curbing as we head into August, reflecting naturally reduced levels as we close out the summer in most geographies. The ECM pipeline for September looks strong, although not at prior year levels, and as mentioned, we are also delivering on a strong pipeline of higher margin advisory activities. Next week, we are hosting our 41st annual Global Growth Conference, and it will be the second year hosting this event in an entirely virtual environment. Despite the change of format, there's been no change in our commitment to providing unparalleled experience for our clients. We've set another new record participation with over 600 companies, innovators and entrepreneurs presenting from across North America, the UK and Europe, and Australia. Our global wealth management business delivered another strong quarter of impressive growth, with firm-wide client assets hitting a new record of $95 billion, up 38% year-over-year. Total revenue of our combined wealth management businesses amounted to $195 million, an increase of 41% when compared to the same period a year ago. Excluding significant items, pre-tax net income from this segment doubled when compared to the same period a year ago, to $48 million. Our North American business was the largest contributor to this growth, with an 83% year-over-year increase in quarterly revenue to $104 million. Advisors in this region continued to enjoy strong participation in the robust market for new issue activity. And quarterly investment banking revenue in this segment amounted to a record $40 million, a year-over-year increase of 211%. With our strong focus on recruitment, retention, and recognition of our IA teams, we've continued to commit resources and investment in the area, which enhance the advisor experience and support them in growing their businesses. The average book per IA team in this business grew an impressive 54% year-over-year to $239 million. In the UK and Crown Dependencies, client assets at the end of the first quarter amounted to a record $56 billion, an increase of 28% year-over-year. Excluding significant items, the first quarter pre-tax net income contribution from this business reached a record $19 million, up 21% compared to the same period in the prior year. Last week, we were pleased to announce the closing of the previously announced investment in this business by HPS. We look forward to building upon this excellent partnership as we work together to enhance near- and longer-term value for this business and for our shareholders. We also remain on track to close our acquisition of the investment management business of Adam & Company at the end of our second quarter. This development will increase our assets by roughly $3 billion, and we expect it to be accretive to our adjusted earnings. Finally, our Australian wealth management business contributed revenue of $17.5 million dollars and excluding significant items, pre-tax net income, of $2.6 million for the three-month period, increases of 34% and 279% respectively. Looking ahead, we will continue to invest with discipline in the growth of all our global wealth management businesses, which are fundamental to our long-term stability. We have been driving digital transformation throughout the organization for several years, With a particular emphasis on our wealth management businesses and the infrastructure that supports them. These investments have played a critical role in our resilience throughout the pandemic, and it will continue to be critical to our long-term growth and stability. In conclusion, we are pleased to have had such a productive start to our fiscal year. We expect that certain market tailwinds will moderate in coming quarters, but the global macroeconomic environment continues to provide a supportive backdrop for activities in our core mid-market sectors. Our substantially stronger wealth management franchise continues to provide a stable earnings foundation. We are seeing both higher highs and higher lows across our businesses, and we believe our competitive position has never been stronger. While we know a full reopening will take some time, People are gradually returning to the offices and safely meeting in person with colleagues and clients, which is boosting spirits across the firm. We will always be firmly rooted in our core CG values, but we are acutely aware that generating sustainable value for our shareholders requires us to advance our strategic priorities in ways that provide benefits to both our business and our community. With that in mind, we are committed to operating with a greater consciousness of our impact on our people, our communities, and the planet. We've also continued to advance our capital markets and wealth management offerings, which focus on helping companies' investors advance their sustainability objectives and contribute to a better world. In everything we do, we remain focused on delivering outstanding experiences for our clients, while managing the firm for profitable growth and shareholder value over the long term. With that, Don and I will be pleased to take your questions. Operator, could you please open the lines?
0: Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, we will now conduct the question and answer session. If you'd like to ask a question, please press star followed by one on your telephone keypad. If you'd like to withdraw your question, please press star followed by two. There will be a brief pause while we compile the Q&A roster. First question comes from Rob Goff with Echelon. Please go ahead.
3: Um, good morning, and uh, congrats on a very strong quarter. Another strong quarter, I should say. Thanks, Rob. Three in a row. Yes. Um, perhaps turning to the UK to start, um, you had posted that your strategic priorities were building out distribution and then pursuing accretive financing opportunities to further expand the business without solution. Could you perhaps elaborate on those
2: uh, sorry Rob I didn't um, can you just uh, rephrase that a little bit I didn't quite follow the question
3: sure I'll try one more time uh, in the UK um, on your slides you talked about um, building out your distribution capabilities and to in the pursuit of accretive financing opportunities to expand the business if you could perhaps um talk a bit more towards both points that would be great,
2: yeah, so you mean u k wealth right?
3: yes sorry yes mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, sorry,
2: yeah, i mean, i wouldn't really characterize it as perhaps expanding our distribution capabilities. I think it's more just- about increasing our um our client asset base through a program of um of um organic growth and um, recruiting advisors and um, being opportunistic and looking at um, acquisitions, um, that's always been our, our path and our plan. So it's really, it's really the growth of client assets through, um, um, through those methodologies that I just described. So it's, it's not distribution as, as such.
1: And then not, and then you mentioned not like a non-dilutive, Rob. Which is a good question, and maybe we we need to be a little bit more transparent on that. But but the idea is we've got a partner in UK Wealth. Um, you know, we don't want to dilute ourselves at the capital at the holding company level for sure. Uh, you know, we don't want to raise money when we've earned about three dollars a share LTM, and you know fund UK acquisitions. We brought in a partner for a reason to help you know to help grow that business. Uh, you know, in a a non-dilutive fashion to our public company shareholders. It doesn't mean that our ownership in UK wealth wouldn't reduce over time if we use their funds as opposed to our funds. We also have a pretty significant balance sheet there. We've got, uh, you know, post-Adams Co, uh, Adam & Co, we'd have about 100 million pounds of debt there, Don, Uh, Yes, we funded it all with debt. We have about 100 million pounds of debt, and we've got ample capacity to put more debt on that business should we choose to use that to grow that business. So there's a lot of non-dilutive ways to our public company shareholders to finance the growth, the continued growth of our UK wealth business. We continue to look at acquisitions in that market, and in fact are very active uh, right now looking at a whole bunch of opportunities. We're going to continue to grow that business to scale. You know, our margins now are up over 25% in that business, clearly, uh, you know, very strong. But, you know, we want to continue to grow that business and continue to achieve very good margins and enhance profitability. Does that answer your question,
3: Rob? Nope. That's great. And if I may turn to Australia, um, could you talk to your assessment of the opportunities in Australia, both through, you know, recruitment, talking acquisitions, and particularly on the conversion of the transactional account?
1: Yeah, great questions, uh, all of which are great opportunities for us. So, you know, I wish I could get to Australia, to be honest. We haven't been there in a year and a half, and those borders aren't opening up anytime soon. Um, our business there, you know, I'll start by not answering your question. Our capital market <laughs> business there has materially benefited from the fact that we've stapled on a very successful wealth platform onto that business, and you've seen those results you know, carry through, you know, for four, you know, for the last five quarters, including this quarter, although down off its peak, still substantially higher than it was prior to when we bought Patterson and merged with that Patterson. So that's that's playing out exactly according to plan. What's playing out better than plan is how we've grown that wealth business. So we've taken assets, you know, full fee paying assets as opposed to just, um, you know, custody assets, and growing them materially and that's been done in part from converting the book of custody assets into fee-paying assets and in part attracting new advisors to the platform i think we've brought on 12 teams Don. i'm looking at you when i say it but about that certainly over 10 teams into our uk platform which is a surprise because that wasn't our initial objective our initial objective was you know um you know get the house in order before starting putting on additions onto the house but but there's been huge appetite from you know others you know other firms there to join our very successful platform. So we're we're, we're monetizing that or you know uh, doing that. So that remains an opportunity. And then we are you know there is consolidation in that marketplace and change in that marketplace. And we are looking at acquisitions as well in that marketplace if they were incremental and additive and creative to our shareholders. We're in no big rush there because I think we have a good critical mass there, but you never know what may come up and what we may do. So I wouldn't rule it out completely, but I also wouldn't expect an announcement in the next three months, Rob. Great. Um,
3: Thank you. And lastly, if I may, um, you noted that your um, capital position uh, leaves you prepared for evolving regulatory environments. Are you looking for uh, more restrictive regulations and prepared for that, or um, I'm just interested in the thinking behind that?
1: you're talking about in australia or broadly speaking
3: um more broadly
1: no yeah we don't anticipate material changes in regulatory capital um you know broadly speaking any particular market could have changes australia in particular is a very, is a relatively capital light jurisdiction that could change but the canadian rules if anything would be i'd hate to say this I'm not, I'm not going to say it, Rob. I was going to say, if anything, capital, capital rules would free up as opposed to become more onerous. But I'm not going to say that because I'll, I'll, I'll get it wrong. But, yeah, we don't see a material change in our capital rules elsewhere. And we do have ample capital. I think, I think what we are alluding to, and you never know words out of context here, Rob, but great question. But I think what we're alluding to is the business is very, very, very active. And as the, as the business is active, that requires capital um and you know especially when it's active on underwriting and active on margin and active everywhere so we have been using our capital significantly um you know to uh uh to to you know manage our business and make the money we're making but that being said we still have ample capital beyond above and beyond that
3: thank you good
1: luck i've noticed that you're reading the slides which is great <laughs> now we're going to make sure make sure they're fully edited Okay, thank you. Thanks. Cheers.
0: Your next question comes from Jeff Fenwick with Cormark Securities. Please go ahead.
4: Hi, good morning, everyone. Hi, Jeff. Uh, Hi, Dan. Um, Why don't we continue with the wealth management discussion here uh, and focus on Canada first? I mean, the the margin there was uh, a pretty sizable step up. Uh, it looks like that was really a factor of, of lower comp as a percent of revenue. And, and I, when I look at the percentage there, I think that's about as low as it's been over the last couple of years. So maybe could you just give us some color on what was happening there? Is it a, a change in the, the revenue mix that's driving the lower relative compensation or, or how should we think about that?
1: Yeah, I think it's, there, there's, there's nothing fundamental, uh, Jeff, but a, a great question. There's nothing fundamental other than scale, right? Certain comp is variable, and certain comp is relatively fixed. So as you increase the scale of the business, the revenue, you know, the revenue in that business, um, you know, you, you, comp comes down. Now I appreciate you'll find other quarters where it didn't. Sometimes it will depend on mix between new issue business and commission business. But but for the for the large degree, I mean, I think you'll expect to continue to see comp coming down as a percentage of revenue as the overall revenue goes up. You notice the mix in revenue in Q1 was, you know, roughly 60% kind of commission and fees, 40% new issue. Sometimes that new issue revenue is at a slightly lower comp ratio than than the commission and fee ratio would be. But, you know, I don't don't think there's anything material to take away there, other than that's the way the numbers played out. Okay. And uh, with respect to the focus on growth going
4: forward from here, uh, you know, How do you think about your priorities? Is it about maybe taking off some, some advisory teams with larger books? Do you still think there's some, some smaller independents you can go after to take down a whole firm? Uh, or maybe is it just about extending your service offering to, to maybe start to manage more of these assets uh, as well as advising
1: them? Uh, yes to all of the above. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean we're we're we, we we definitely want to continue to grow our Canadian wealth offering, it's same in the UK, same in Australia to be honest, but and we definitely have a lot of resources to do that. Uh, you know, we think this business could be substantially larger notwithstanding, you know, we're the largest independent, um, I I make that point very purposely, and most profitable and highest revenue independent, you know, you know, we think there, we think this business can and should be bigger, and we are actively trying to grow it through all of the above scenarios that you pointed to.
3: Okay,
4: and um, I think it was within the context of capital markets you made some comments about extending your product capabilities, but I, I can see how there might be leverage into the wealth unit as well. So. I guess there's been a little bit of media speculation around looking at like an alternative debt platform, but mm-hmm. you know, what, what type of things might be a, a nice add on to, uh, to what you have today? I do think of your offering as being relatively fulsome. So there, there are holes in the, in the, uh, yeah. in the menu there that you want to fill in.
1: Yeah, I think I, I do think it's more, well, it's, it's primarily capital markets, but you're right. It could relate to wealth. And, you know, when you talk about holes, yeah, a, you know, a, um, you know, a, a, uh a mid tier debt platform would be good. no, I'm just kidding. we're not allowed to comment on speculation but but you know like there are we do have think about our client base, our you know mid cap client base, not materially different than you know your your firm's client base, or think about you know our retail offering, and there's things that we don't offer that we should offer if we are going to become more full service, so we continue to assess that. You know, I'll use an example. It sounds silly, but it's something as simple as FX, Jeff, like you know having a material foreign exchange offering. we do a lot of u s we do a lot of Canadian deals. It'd be good to be able to do FX in an intelligent fashion, for example, you know there's lots of little examples of that they're not going to be materially you know move the needle, but we, you know, but we've got a big enough balance sheet, a big enough franchise that we can certainly handle some additional capabilities.
4: okay. And then maybe one uh, one last one here on on UK growth. I mean, you did give us a bit of color on this earlier, but um, you know, what's the status of the market there from a competitive position if you're if you're looking to roll in other other uh, businesses like Adam and Company? Um, granted, you've got HBS now that's uh, that's closed, and they're they with you as a partner. So, is there still a pretty good pipeline here to continue to yeah. expand that? I mean, you're you're already quite large in the domestic market.
1: Huge, huge pipeline. I mean, the market continues to consolidate. Little guys continue to get out. There continues to be deals every day. Uh, you know, you, you'll notice that Raymond James just announced an acquisition there the other day. Um, you know, there, there's lots of act- There continues to be lots of activity and. Uh, i don't want to sound too promotional jeff so i want to be a little careful but but you know we've never been better positioned uh you know to to get deals done you know you look at you know our currency you look at our capital capability you look at our partner and you look at the fact that we've successfully very successfully integrated in several firms you know so there's real tangible benchmarks out there um and we're really well known in the community now as a consolidator so i don't we're very well positioned. That being said, as you know, M and A's M and A, and often you don't get to the finish line. More often than not, you don't get to the finish line. So, who knows? But we're we are, you know, the the team there is working very hard to uh, continue to consolidate that marketplace.
4: Okay, thanks for that color. I'll recue.
1: Thank you. Great questions.
0: Your next question comes from Graham Riding with TD Securities. Please go ahead.
5: Hey, Graham. Hi. Good morning. Morning. Just to follow on on that last theme, when you when you look back at all the acquisitions you've done in the UK wealth market, have your retention levels been um, been high, or have they been as, you know as high as you would have targeted or wanted, in terms of keeping assets and, and teams?
2: Uh, hi, Graham. It's Don. Uh Yes, they've been very high, and um, certainly met and exceeded expectations. It hasn't really been a problem at all. There's always a little bit you know ones and twos here and there uh, but both client retention and advisor retention has been very strong and I think that speaks a lot to our capabilities in terms of integration and and you know being on top of the socialization aspect of of, of acquisitions um, I think it's been always been well received
1: and we've been successful at doing it and and known for doing it yeah, I guess the telltale sign, both on our UK wealth acquisitions or on our US M&A acquisitions, I mean, if you notice in our financials, we keep on paying earnouts. That means that people are overachieving what the targets that we set in those acquisitions are. You'd love to pay earnouts if you can, right? So, you know, we've been paying earnouts on all of our acquisitions, and most of them have had some form of earnout payment. So that's yeah. a good thing, and that's a pretty obvious sign that uh, they're performing better than. You know, at least a base estimate. Okay, great. And then,
5: any any commentary in terms of sticking with wealth, just the organic flows in the quarter. You know, I know you've got divisions in Canada, UK, and Australia. Just any any context on you know where your flows positive or uh, yeah. in the quarter, and then just on the recruitment side as well. Any activity there in the quarter to pull out, or or just any commentary on, on the pipeline.
2: Uh, yeah, the flows for the quarter have been positive um, both in the UK and in Canada um, in terms of organic net inflows, so that's continued to um, meet expectations
1: and continue to build. Um, on the recruitment yeah, on side, the recruiting side it, it, I mean, the rec- the recruiting pace is the same as it's been. You know, we mentioned Australia already, and, and it's been very active there, but even in Canada, you know, the recruiting pace is, is fantastic, but we're operating from a much bigger base. The, the first person we recruited, we started with a $10 billion asset base. We're up to $35 billion, you know, to, to keep moving the needle. You know, we got to keep the effort, you got to intensify the effort, so to speak. So we're still talking to lots of people, hoping lots of people are going to come over. You know it's been it, it's it's easier than ever to sell this platform just given the 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 success on the forty seven teams or forty six teams that have come across so it's been good we've tracked we tracked another very very well two large advisors from one of our independent competitors over the last you know couple of months and both of them were were size and they were important additions so you know things continue to continue to go there's some admin flows we're in the middle of the summer now so not much happens but you know it'll it'll pick up again.
5: Okay, uh, and then I noticed that there's um, there was some commentary around uh, the management in the UK wealth management uh, platform uh, purchased a four percent equity stake. Now, is that a new development, and is that incremental to the twenty-two percent stake that HBS um, has acquired? I'm just wanted, trying to think like how much how much does Canaccord Genuity own of that UK wealth platform?
2: Well, I think we've always contemplated having um, some direct equity program for the employee base and the management base um, within the UK Wealth Group. So this was just sort of the formalization of a of an equity incentive plan for the for that particular group. Um, it's not completed or closed yet. We'll do that over the next couple of weeks, but it's estimated to be about four percent. So our our interest of 78% after HPS would be diluted down to, say, in that 75% plus or minus range, depending upon what the finalization of the uh, management participation
1: plan is. And most private equity partners that you bring into a situation like that want the management co-investing with them. So this is not, they're co-investing at the same values that HPS came in at. This is not, you know, some kind of, you know, fr- free equity um, from that perspective. So, uh, we're very supportive of that, and obviously like the direct alignment there.
5: Sure. Okay. And this is this is the management team running yes. your UK wealth platform. Correct. correct? It's not not okay. me, not Don. It's, yes. <laughs> case. Yes, specific to UK. Yeah. Okay. Understood. And then just my last question, like um, capital or working capital. Sort of, there's a, there's a few things going on in in the current quarter with. Um, you know, the proceeds from HPS, but that you're also investing in AtomCo, you know, any, any context on sort of, the, are you expecting your capital levels here to, uh, to lift or to be relatively flat quarter by quarter? What's uh, how, what are the key moving pieces that we should be aware of?
2: Yeah. I think as Dan mentioned earlier on, I mean, we have, we um, have, um, we're using debt in the UK to p- fund past acquisitions. We've got room in that debt capacity to fund future acquisitions. So how Adam & Co get specifically funded is still to be um, finalized, but it's quite conceivable that it could be fully funded with debt or substantially funded with debt. Um, and then as we go forward, it will depend on the circumstances, but a combination of debt and equity is sort of the, the plan going forward.
1: You know, so our current capital, obviously we've taken in a fair amount of capital from the HPS transaction, even repaying the interim financing that we use to take out the convert. So, you know, it's fair to say that we are, you know, relatively capital flush right now. We've got a number of strategic priorities going on, as we've indicated, but we've also said, you know, pretty publicly that, you know, we're going to continue to be aggressive on buying back our stock. So. You know, we, we we used $19 million last quarter between dividends and buying back stock. I think, you know, we're going to continue to be <clears throat> relatively aggressive, you know, in a normal way. I don't think you'll see anything substantial at this stage, but in a normal way, buying back our stock and continuing to lower our share count. I mean, we brought our share count down from, you know, a high of 130 million shares down to, you know, sub 110 million shares. Um, and, you know, that pace of activity is going to continue. We are, you know, making a lot of money, and we're making a lot of cash. And that gives us an opportunity to use that balance sheet to uh, create value for our shareholders.
5: Okay, that's it for me. Thank you.
1: Good questions. Thank you. Anything
0: else? There are no further questions at this time. Please proceed.
1: Okay. Well, listen, th- thank you, everyone. I appreciate you taking the time in the summer, and um, you know, I appreciate all your interest I- in our company. I mean, this really con- concludes our call for the for the first quarter. And it, it, Don and I are, of course, available for any follow-up questions. We've got our annual special meeting tomorrow um, at 10 a.m. tomorrow. Feel free to dial in. We've got a new board member joining us as well on that. Uh, you know, so you'll see 40% of our board now will be, you know, gender diverse for sure. Um, and obviously uh, access details uh, for our meeting were provided through our information circular, and they've also been made available on our website. So with that, operator, thank you very much, and we can close the lines, and we'll talk to you again soon.
0: Ladies and gentlemen, this concludes your conference call for today. We thank you for participating and ask that you please disconnect your lines. Have a great day